Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hello everyone, I'm Jess Mills and welcome to Human Podcast a place to hear extraordinary human stories that celebrate the limitless potential of human beings. Each week, I'm in conversation with a celebrated trailblazer or unsung hero whose awe-inspiring personal story demonstrates the breathtaking things that human beings are capable of overcoming and achieving. Human has been created to make these stories more seen, more heard, and more celebrated. In this first series, we're exploring extraordinary personal stories of resilience and trying to understand how it enables us to overcome the most impossible experiences. Every story of greatness holds the messiness and fragility of living too, and so often our pain is our greatest teacher. So if the world is feeling like a dark or difficult place, join us and let your heart be uplifted by the fire of the human spirit. Now, how is it possible to give an introduction that does justice to the breadth and diverse brilliance that this man in front of me embodies? But I'm going to give it a go. Mohamed Hashi is the co-founder and director of The Incredible Force, which is the Bricks and Soup Kitchen, and has been a visionary and compassionate local community leader, supporting the most marginalised young people in Brixton and Lambeth for nearly 20 years. Mohammed is dynamically involved in many aspects of his community, including consulting closely with community police, stop and search monitoring, the London Probation Trust, the Trident Independent Advisory Group and the Black Mental Health Commission in Lambeth. He also recently became the first elected Somali councillor in Lambeth, winning the National Councillor's Achievement Award within just six months into his new role. He also, you heard it here first, is going to be our Mayor of London in 2024. 100%. <laughs> Um, so it will come as no surprise that he's been widely recognised, celebrated and awarded for his work. Most recently by the South London Press, who awarded him with our Heroes Award. He's also been featured in the Independent on Sunday's Happy 100 list and in the in Evening Standard's Most Influential Londoners for the last three years. He was also awarded with an honorary doctorate in philosophy by Lond the London Metropolitan University in recognition for his outstanding work with young people in the wider community. But there is more. Apparently, Mohammed considers himself more a scientist. Yes. <laughs> Dr. Hashi um, just recently completed a master's in forensic science. Um, and so I, I have to just say now that I'm also very, very lucky to say that Hashi 
to me is more part of my extended family. Um, one of the people that my my dear dear late mum loved, admired, and respected most in the world. Um, in fact, and I know that you know this, um, Mohammed, but one of the last messages my mum sent to anyone in the world was to you to congratulate you on becoming a counsellor and I was with her when she wrote it with tears of pride and love in her eyes um just bursting as 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 we all were um but of course you know a person on paper cannot give you a fraction of their real magic in real life so I'm just so honoured to be able to share some of this person's life affirming magic with you today on this podcast um so Mohammed, welcome. Thanks, Jess. <laughs> so, Dr. Hashi, now all of this is a um, pretty staggering demonstration of, gosh, if nothing else, human compassion, vision, decency, but it it all starts to speak very directly to this conversation we're having, uh, this series on resilience. When you position all of this in relation to where your story began, um, so just to put it all in context a little bit more for our listeners today, um, can you just take us back to the beginning of your story? Oh, the beginning. <laughs> so um, I grew up in South London. I went to a local school. And I think, you know, on reflection, I can see the amount of obstacles and barriers that were there. So in the first five years of, well, in the five years that I was at um, secondary school, we had five head teachers. So every year our head teacher got sacked. And at the time we didn't realise the significance of that mm-hmm. and how hard it is actually to get rid of a, um, a, a head teacher. Um, out of about 200 of us in my year, seven of us got five A to Cs. Wow. So again, the expectation wasn't great. Mm-hmm. And I remember vividly my, um, my GCSE maths exam. And I remember sitting down to do it. And then 10 minutes into the exam, all my friends got up, went out to play football. So... I did too. <laughs> and uh, I was still surprised that I got F, but I'm not sure why. <laughs> but, you know, it was it was that kind of mind frame, if I'm honest with you, that, mm. that really affected, if you will, it affects me on reflection. Yeah. It didn't affect me at the time. At the mm. time, it was just how it was, you know, we accepted our surroundings, we accepted the way things were and we didn't see any opportunity or any mechanism to challenge it and I think we was too young and the community at the time was too accepting of 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 our situation and so uh, what, what if you just tell our listeners where is that com- where was that community um so Brixton yeah so specifically Brixton yeah um yeah and do you know my story from that time is not very different from a lot of other young people so already you can see that success wasn't something that was kind of bred into us or or taught to us. It was just, you know, find your own way mm. and survive, really. You know, there's so much emphasis, even currently, you know, on, on thriving. But people never really think about the people that are just trying to survive. Mm. You and know? how you enable people to thrive, not just well, survive. Yeah, well, yeah. thriving is a luxury yeah. when you have that stability to be able to mm. focus on being better. Mm as opposed to just being alive. Now, I'd love for you just to tell us a little bit about what must have been a pretty significant and profound internal change process that must have taken place within you from, you know, that moment in your maths GCSE to the point that you got your first MA in bio- biomedical science. 
I'd love you for you just to kind of tell us a little bit more about that so, time and so, that journey. So I remember I had a I had an interview at a, a grant maintained school in Tooting. And my brother was already attending there because he's just basically a genius. <laughs> and what I remember is the first day that I went into the school. So I'd, I'd done, I picked up four A-levels, um, chemistry, biology, sociology and geography. And I went to my first chemistry lesson. It was like almost like a, a, a mini theatre. And I remember going in, sitting at the back. There was about 11 students in the class. I went and I sat at the back and every single one of those students sat at the front, right at the front. So I was there just sitting there by myself thinking, what's wrong with these weirdos? Why are they at the front for? And then when the lesson started, they knew all, you know, they knew all the subject and the topic matters. They started having banter with the teacher and saying, um, you know, what do you call someone who, you know, like atom jokes and stuff like that. And I remember, <laughs> I remember going home and I said to my mum, mum, I don't like it there, man. They're not, they're not. We're making jokes about atoms. Yeah. I'm thinking <laughs> in my head, I'll, I'll tell you the truth. In my head, I was thinking, what the hell is an atom? That's what I'm yeah. doing A level chemistry and I'm yeah. thinking, you know, I know the role of an atom, I know, you know, how it works and stuff, but I don't actually know what atom is, what it signifies. Do you yeah. know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. And they're making jokes and everyone's laughing. I'm just thinking, what are you talking about? And I remember my mum reminds me to this day, she 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 said, I come home and said, Mum, I don't want to go back to that school, you know, these kids ain't normal. Like I don't think they're even human because they're enjoying this learning, whereas for me, going to school and education was something you just had to do and get mm. past. You know, it was mm. an obstacle for what I wanted to do, which was still unknown at that time. Yeah. You know, and these kids are actually absorbing what they're learning. So I, I remember my first um, chemistry exam. Um, I went in, we've done it, come out with my friend. and I So said would you say that was almost the, the first time you'd been in a, in a learning environment 100%, where people were, were actively you, learning? I'll tell you yeah. what I learned in, in, in secondary school, mm. right? And this is still a point of pride for me, mm. blackjack. So I, cha <laughs> I challenge any of your listeners, drop me an email or a message on social media. Right, you I will that? destroy you. <laughs> However, that's all that we learned. We learned yeah. that, we learned about almost becoming comfortable in conflict. So, you know, right. a, a lot of the time in school, we used to have people that climbed over the gates, beat up people and then climbed back over and escaped. Yeah. You know, we had times when, you know, we had people actually coming into the school, into the corridors and into classrooms to rob people, you God. know? And the teachers would, instead of protecting us or trying to defend us, lock themselves in the cupboard. So school is a hostile environment. It was. It, I think it's, that, it's, that it's whole no, environment yeah. was hostile. Yeah, yeah. The entire, so it's from the estates, from the school. You know, we. it was, everyone gave up on us already. Yeah. You know, and it was evident to us, which is why we almost had so much autonomy. And, you know, it sounds like there was something hugely kind of formative for use you know, I mean, of course there was about suddenly being in an, in an environment where people were, you know, expected to excel as opposed to accepted to expected to fail, you mm -hmm. know, and what for, you know, a young person that does for a sense of your own aspiration and sense of possibility. Would you say that was true? De definitely. But for me, again, I'm coming from a place where we've gone through the worst. Mm. So you can't scare me with uh, the, the prospect of educational failure. Mm. You can't scare me with with words mm. and, and, and the prospect of, of failure. I'm immune to it already. And, and for me, that's part of the resilience a lot of our young people build from being in those hostile environments. You mm. can't 
you know, you can't get someone that's from a war-torn country and, and, and scare them with, I'm going to punch you in the face. They, they're beyond that, you know. Yeah, that's yeah. actually, they, they, they're so well prepared. Mm. You, you have to have something different. And, and for me, I feel like that resilience that you build puts you in an ideal place to be able to learn safely because yeah. you've already put together your safeguards internally. Yeah. You've already put together your expectations. And for me, that's where we were. We we come from a place where where we had one of our friends that died in, in school because he went to a party and got bottled. He was a really big guy as well. Mm. You know, they, they hit him over the head with a bottle. He he stood up to them. They were all older than him. After that, no more conflict. He went home, went to sleep and died of internal bleeding. Oh. And, and for us, that's the kind of experiences we've come with. You know, you see your friend on Friday, he doesn't come in on Monday ever again. And you, you, you know, it's n- how can you possibly question why children aren't able to thrive in those environments where they're basically sites of trauma? The, the is, and you still live there. Yeah, you, exactly. Do you know what I mean? And, and, and for me, that's, that's the kind of challenge for us. Mm. You know, we keep a lot, a lot of the time, especially with the current youth violence epidemic, you know, we keep placing the blame on young people, mm. you know, saying you put down your knife or you need to react differently to situations. But the entire environment is hostile. Mm. And I feel like that's a bit of a cop out for our young people, because if the environment's hostile, how can we expect them to to be following rules that they know disarms them without disarming the environment that, that they're in? Mm. So for me, there's there's a lot of work that we need to do. And the, the, the first part of our work is actually listening to our young people, which we are so bad at doing. Mm. We always assume that we know better because we're older. Not that we've got the same experiences as them or we've got, we come from similar backgrounds as them, simply because of our age. And I feel like that's something that creates a huge barrier between the generations. No, a, good, a good teacher for a, a child, particularly from the communities that you're talking about, Mohammed. I mean, honestly, it... It can change your life. It is life changing. It honestly, is. It, can, it can absolutely fundamentally change the course of your life. And it's not even just the teaching teachers or teaching assistants. Anyone mm. that's in that environment of the school, sometimes a, a kid just needs someone to connect with mm. through the, through through their challenging time. Because a lot of our kids are going through issues at home. You know, whether it's their parents going through domestic violence, whether they're going through violence, whether they've got issues on the street, poverty, etc. So done my first degree, um, ended up getting a job in my old school, the first one, right, as a, a, a behaviour specialist. Oh, so wow, I dealt so you with, went back there. Yeah, wow. especially because it was right next door to my house. So I was a bit pretty lazy, if I'm yeah. honest with you. <laughs> and that was, I love that job. That's up until today, that's the favourite job I've ever had. Mm. You know, work with these young people. I became the head of pupil involvement, which meant I ran this um, school council, I ran the anti-bullying committee i ran the debating society i ran everything that was led by young people and absolutely loved that i then went on to do my teaching degree how many bloody degrees have you done so the teaching degree was interesting because i didn't i've done seven out of the nine months and it really taught me an appreciation for teachers you know because the amount of things that you have to do as a trainee teacher let alone as a teacher, you're not getting paid yeah. an awful amount. You're doing, you have to do 25 lesson plans a week mm. for, for the lessons that you're delivering. You have to do your uni assignments, which oh, is like 4,000, yeah. 5,000 word essays. Mm. You have to do your Q standards and you're not appreciated. Mm. So you can't even work with the kids one-to-one. You have to work yeah. with them generally. You know, it was awful. It's crippling work. Yeah, it, yeah. Was, it was. And if I'm honest with you, I was really worried for my mental health at that, at that point. Mm. So I was traveling to a school in Buckhurst Hill three hours there, three hours back, 
teaching God. for five hours. Wow. And I was like, that don't make no sense. God, and it's then, making my head hurt just thinking. Uh, <laughs> so for me, it's a real appreciation for teachers, you mm-hmm. know, the amount of time and effort they put in to teach our young people. Mm-hmm. The truth is it's not even worth it for them. Mm. you know it's not like they're getting great money out of it it's not like they're getting appreciation out of it so you know I really take my hat off to teachers because I didn't last and I didn't last because I didn't like it so um, I dropped out of the teaching degree Um, it was in that time that I I was the victim of a shooting so Mm. I was actually breaking up a fight when when I got shot the bullet ricocheted from railings and hit me in the shoulder cut the nerve to my arm shattered my rib my rib hit my lung collapsed my lung and the bullet stopped half a centimetre on top of my spine and you know so firstly I'm grateful that I'm here I'm grateful that I'm able to walk and I'm able to use my arm because even at the time the doctors were saying there's a 70% chance I'll never use my arm again And I'm grateful to be able to have shared an experience that so many of our young people go through. And it's given me a different level of empathy for, for that. Because a lot of the time people are like, you know, they, they, you know, it's this, it's this idea of toxic masculinity, you know, come on, my man up. Mm. You, you only got shot in the leg, you know, kind of thing. You're like, it's, that's not how it goes. There's yeah. so much in terms of your psychology, in terms of the fear, in terms of the vulnerability mm. that children are going through. Yeah. And the answer is not to tell them to man up. You know, The answer is to, to start looking at putting in that support network for them to be able to heal properly. Mm. And I feel like so many of our young people haven't healed properly, which means that they are even more vulnerable than, than, than before. It's, it's funny. So off the back of that, what I remember is in terms of the investigation was closed quite quickly because there were seven cameras in the area, three of them weren't working, four of them weren't recording. So there wasn't much that the police could do with that. And and that really made me think, is this a poverty thing? Is it because I'm in an area of poverty, why these things are not working? Because I could imagine if I was in Chelsea, you had had hundreds of cameras that picked up everything. And so I decided to do my master's in forensic science. And I done my, I done my, um, I actually done my dissertation on gunshot residue evidence. Wow! Just to understand those those Process. processes. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. And really, the processes that failed me. Yeah. And and that gave me a huge understanding because they say every every but every also contact. Also, forensic science is a big part of the system that delivers justice or injustice it is but it's interesting when the recession came that was we had a forensic science um service which was part of the metropolitan police and that was the first service to go so all the forensic science is outsourced now wow so it's easy so i I came up with so many so much learning as soon as i was receptive and i understood the the gaps in my knowledge yeah and i feel like that's what we need to be encouraging people in our communities and societies to be doing is just to pick up knowledge Mm. you know be receptive to that knowledge um, so it was while I was doing my masters that we we started a soup kitchen, and you know that was and that interesting. was in two thousand thirteen. Yeah, yeah, so that was in, interesting balance to keep. Um, yeah, and then we kicked off the soup kitchen, and everything's how you, how you see it now. You know, we're constantly learning. We've not stopped. It's going to be seven years in, in on January the first that we've yeah. been open. We've never got any core funding, so everyone that works here is a volunteer. Everyone there's been volunteering, and yeah, for for us it's about just doing every little it helps, you know. Just like the the big supermarket says, it is literally every little helps, and it's not just to do with shopping; it's to do with how we are in society generally. Just a smile, just a hello, just a good morning, for me is is sometimes life changing, and we mm. will never necessarily see the outcome of that. 
but inside it's 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 almost something that 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 lights a spark in someone that they as you said before they exist mm. and from you you identify the fact that you exist you're able to work on yourself a lot mm. more there and see where you can go was there was there anyone significant in your in in, in your journey that that listened to you that oh, so impact? many people and yeah. and for me that's that is why I feel like I'm here today, if I'm honest with you. You know, mm. we had people like Hickey, we had people like Wiley, we had people like Leroy, who who, who passed away a few years ago. These were youth workers, mm. but they were called detached youth workers at the time. So what they would do is they'll be on the streets and on the estates and in the youth clubs. And even eventually they were in our schools on the corridors. Yeah. And these guys were muscly, they trained a lot, they were from our community, so there was there was consequences to, to being rude to them because they've got firstly a physical, um, the, the, the whole physical presence over you, mm. which really made you respect them as Command adults. Respect, yeah, yeah. Oh, commands fear, you know, <laughs> apprehension. <laughs> yeah. And and then they had the connection to your families as well. Mm. So you're like, you know, in school, you're thinking you can swear at your teacher, you could do whatever you want. You know, that a lot of them are middle class or white teachers from out of London mm. that already approach you with a fear. They approach you as a child with fear, which totally messes up the balance of power yeah, and the good. balance of authority. So mm. you don't respect them because you know they don't because respect it you. It becomes a boundaryless space. And yeah. Exactly that. Which is just and so, you know they so don't protect you as well. Yeah, yeah. So when you need them the most, they will turn their back on you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So the, the whole relationship there is already eroded before it's even begun. Yeah. But these guys, you know, the, the Hickeys, the Martins, the Leroy's, they they really stood up for us, you know. They'll see you in a fight or, or see you in, in, in some kind of conflict or under pressure and just them turning up, everything dissipates. Mm. And you're like, that's crazy. So I guess what you're talking about is a kind of, they provided a sense of safety. They they, uh, yeah. they, they created that whole safety, yeah, 100%. Yeah. And for me, that's what inspired me to get into youth work. Yeah. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need a fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is PlushCare. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort. So you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now save 40% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. And 
I, mean, I guess this this feeds very very directly into what you um, provide at the Bricks and Soup Kitchen, and I'd just love to spend a bit of time talking about about that. And um, I I heard something that you said uh, that was so profound in an interview with Solomon when you said. We thought that food was the solution, but it turned out food was simply what we needed to facilitate conversation, to facilitate that engagement with people. And what I hear there is that, you know, while, of course, you know, the the food and and, and the the sustenance of food, of course, it's essential. um, You know, the food is really the conduit to deliver some other equally, if, you know, just as vital and sustaining things for people which are to be seen to be heard, to feel safe, as you said, um, to feel that they matter. Um, and the soup kitchen provides community, it provides togetherness, kindness, belonging. And, you know, this is quite possibly the most kind of nourishing, life-saving, kind of life-changing part of your work with the people and the community that you support. Um, you know, I'd, I'd love to sort of hear you reflect on that. A yeah, for for us it's interesting because when we, when we first started the soup kitchen, we thought it was all about food, and you know we thought it was about hot hot drinks and hot food and just making people feel good at that time. Mm. And you know what we learned was we started getting people that was coming because it was lonely. You know we started getting people that just wanted to be around people. Mm. We had people who wouldn't tell you their background or their issues because they just wanted to be treated equally or just with respect, the respect mm. that you have for fellow humans. And for us, that really caught us off because that's not what we was expecting or anticipating. We was just thinking, you're going to come here, you're going to drink your hot tea, you're going to take some hot food and then go about your business. But people really wanted to stay there and they really enjoyed the vibe. And and one of the things that we done from the outset was we didn't wear any uniforms, we didn't create any barriers. You know, we ate the same food that they ate. You know, we sat where they sat. To the point, what we wanted to do is when when people come in externally, that they wouldn't be able to tell who's who's a service user, who's a, a yeah. who's a who's a staff member, etc. Apart mm. from obviously recognizing us, and and for us, that's that's something that really I think, you know, sets us apart from a lot of other services, is that we concentrate on on building up people's confidence by making sure they understand, and even more, they feel that their current situation doesn't define who they are as a person. Yeah. You know, yeah. it's simply a, a part of your life, a challenge, and we're here to help and we're here to allow you to build up your support networks by by creating friends that are going through something similar or, or something dynamically different. Mm. And you're able to share it in a safe space because, for example, you could say, oh, I'm a bit hungry today, I'm going to go to the soup kitchen. But you sit there and you end up playing blackjack with someone, you know, where you might have been sitting at home by yourself. Yeah. Um, also for us we've, we identified it as for us homelessness was rough sleeping mm-hmm. so we were only thinking we're going to be seeing people that are you know sleeping outside shops you yeah. know with sleeping bags and then we start getting mums with kids you know we start getting elderly people that yeah. were lonely at home and we come across terms such as partial homelessness which mm-hmm. is they can the benefits pay for their their rent, but they have little to nothing left over. Yeah, you know they don't have clothes, so they don't they don't have you know. Sometimes we had people that was coming to the service and rushing off to the job center to sign on. Yeah. So for us, what we done is we developed a a, a clothes bank, and and the way we set up is it's like a shop. To the point, so often we get asked by service users how much for for this shirt or how much for these trousers. 
because of how it's set up and that's about giving them confidence we yeah. don't want you to feel like you're getting society's rubbish no, exactly. you know you're, you, you're a valued person and as a result you should be getting things that are valued things that are in good condition you create a service that that you would want to use yourself one, one. you're not you're not creating something for for a, another person you're creating something for someone like you you know, it's, it's, it's a resource. What would you want? You know? 100%. You know, sometimes you, it's like savings. You know, you never think of your savings as a pity money. Mm. You know, it's something you put there that you can rely on when you need it. And and that's for us what the soup kitchen is. Yeah. It's a community resource. Yeah. Everyone goes through difficult periods of time. Everyone goes through stresses. Everyone goes through bereavement. Mm. And for us, it's about when you do, we're here to support you. And and for us, that's that's the bottom line. It just, just this... this um this point about partial homelessness um you know feels feels so kind of profound really because you know what we're talking about there is you know physical my god physical shelter is not just enough you know physical shelter doesn't create a sense of home and a sense of belonging Mm -hmm. you know and um and all of the things that come with home you know a sense of sanctuary a sense of nourishment a sense of safety and it just you know that is that is what you're providing one, for the community that you serve. So one of the first questions we ask ourselves is, is home a place or a feeling? Oh, God. And and for us, that's what we try to make sure that the soup kitchen, we've got it as a place anyway, but it's when you come there, it's the feeling that you get, you know, the camaraderie. I mean, how amazing is that? I mean, that's what I mean, you know, Mohammed. it's the kind of, it just, the 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 whole of the soup kitchen concept is just built with such a, like the center of gravity of it has such emotional intelligence and and compassion to the whole thing. And I just think everything you do is embodied in that sentence you just said is home, a place or a feeling, you know, and sorry, just, just talk to that a little bit more. Yeah, so, so, so for us it's about when you come in, You've, you know, it's like cheers. You know, they say it's, it's <laughs> yeah. you, you need somewhere, a, a place where everyone knows your name, mm. you know, and, and that's for us a, a real core part of what we do. It's about making people feel like they're valued and they're part of something. And, and they matter. Exactly. Yeah. You know, there's somewhere when you're feeling down, you can just go there and just say, all right, Jess, how are you doing today? You're going to be play, play blackjack? We've got a few people that are like chess experts. Yeah. <laughs> you know, we, we've had, we've, we've even had financial advisors who, who, who lost everything. In, in the recession in 2008, you mm. know? And the, sp- the specific guy that I'm talking about, he wouldn't talk about it for about four years because he was so ashamed and he's afraid, you know? He feels like he lost people's money and there might be people after him. And you know, that anxiety and that mm. stress and strain to the point that we've got him sitting down now and, and, and telling us little bits and we're learning. You know, mm. we've got people like Musa who's, who's got a company called Riso. And what he does is he collects very, very almost brand new trainers you know and we've just started a partnership with him and he's going to be coming in every month and you know if you see the excitement and it's it's the service users that have said it from their mouths you know they're like when you ask them what do these trainers mean to you they'll say when someone meets you the first thing they look at is your trainers you know and they base their whole perception of who you are on your trainers now if you've got you know them flapping or you've got holes in them or they're filthy people dismiss you as a person mm. of value and for us it's about building up people's confidence by a number one you know ticking the box of of perception which mm. i think is very important because mm. how people perceive you really impacts on how you feel about yourself oh, God, but yeah. then also equipping them with the confidence 
of 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 being able to articulate themselves and feel like there's not going to be no comeback so there's not going to be no consequences to actually voicing your opinion mm-hmm. and for me that's so important it, it's it's that you want to create a you know real sense of belonging 100% and I just I'd love to, for you to kind of speak to this this notion of, of belonging a little bit more and, and, and why you feel it's so important so so when Solomon first explained to me the idea of the soup kitchen mm. we, so we've been youth workers together at the time maybe 15 years working with young people it's always about violence it's always about you know g- getting them into employment getting them off the streets etc but when he spoke to me about you know people freezing to death on the streets of London I had to reflect because there was a guy that sits outside my local tube station and I've been walking past him for about seven, eight years, wow. right? And the only time if I've got something in my hand at the time, I'll be like, yeah, let me share it with him. But I would never, you know, go out of my way and buy something in the shop for him or I've never even really thought about talking to him, you know? And it turns out the guy's a musician, you know? And and my first interaction with him was, not not long after we started the soup kitchen is I, st- I started buying him chewing gum and he really appreciated that. And one day I sat down with him and listened to his story and he's got kids and he's got a family. And, and I'm like, why do we not see people that we've seen so long in our in our locality as part of the community? You know, mm-hmm. if he was a young person, we would have we spoke to him already. You know, if he w- if he was someone that lived in the area, I would have spoke to him already, especially if I've been seeing him for si- six, seven years. Yeah. But why have I not looked at this person? Why has, has my vision always been so straight and so high that I don't look at the person sitting down on, on the wall? And for me, that was part partly guilt, you know, on reflection that you think to yourself, you're a community person, but really I've been ignoring a whole section of people that are supposed to be in our community that we've not really accepted in our community. I think I think what you're what you're tapping into here is just the sense that you know how can it be that the people that are most in need, most vulnerable in our society, at the point at which they are most vulnerable and most in need, seem to become invisible. I, th- I think it's it's again it's part of our own defense mechanism of not feeling bad. Yeah. especially if we might not have any recourse to action. Yeah. You know, and and what we don't realize is action something that can change it is a smile. Yeah. Is a, a gentle word, a good morning. Mm. But because we don't even think about that we try to avoid the whole issue. Mm. And and that that was my thing. I was thinking maybe I was too embarrassed to even acknowledge that issue. Mm. Because I didn't necessarily have excess money or I didn't yeah. have enough money to buy him stuff. And for me, especially when I shout out to your listeners, it's, it's simply a smile, yeah. simply a, a good morning where they feel like they can start building a connection. Imagine saying good morning to the same person for, for four weeks. You build an automatic relationship with mm. them. You know, I've, I've, there's people that I've known for the last 11 years and I didn't know their name. But we've got such a good connection and a good vibe because we say, good afternoon, how are you doing? How mm. you been? I don't even know your name. I don't know what you do. I don't know nothing about your life. But that just generally lifts you because you're being acknowledged. Mm. And I think one of the biggest things that we hear from our services is that acknowledgement. You know, they always feel like people judge them based on their situation, based on the fact that they're sitting outside a tube station, based on the fact that they've got their sleeping bag and their dog there. You know, based on that fact, they're being categorised in a specific or or stereotyped. Mm. And for us, I think as a society, we need to start taking care of each other a lot more. Even if that means we just smile at each other. You know, everything you're saying is just 
rings so so powerfully true for me at the moment just you know like I there are time you know my mum actually did some time with um every year she would go out and spend a night um with you know a few different homeless charities um and uh normally in the kind of dead of winter and she would sort of you know particularly around the west end go and spend time uh speaking to to people that were, were were sleeping outside and just yeah again some of the most vulnerable and people in need in the city at the time and so often that's exactly what they would say and I would never forget mum telling me a story about um a woman who said to her you know people don't realize that just a little bit of humanity and just just a smile can be the thing that saves your life on a daily basis you know five ten pounds here and there isn't it it's like you know i just need i just want to feel seen and i'm not invisible i haven't become a ghost you know i haven't become a ghost in this world and i think you know just this thing about being seen being heard is is um and 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 the way in which you do that with such with with such total um, humanity at the soup kitchen is a way that you know you are in your way you are building resilience and transforming the world around you um, through that type of well it's it, it's gestures of love really do you know 100%. what I mean and decency and kindness and it's just the you know an incredible example of how kindness and human decency and compassion can be the thing that starts to transform the world around you and start to kind of build build resilience with build resilience within communities 100 um, would you say that is that's true 100 percent. i think sometimes we look so much at the trauma of, of people's situations that we don't really think about how much resilience you've built by surviving what you've gone through yeah and i think especially with with people that are going through issues you know if you think about the fact that you've survived this far regardless of your situation sometimes all they need is a helping hand to to understand how to apply that to their current situation so mm-hmm. for me i went through experiences that meant I've, i love interviews like I literally love interviews. I love standing up in front of big, huge crowds and talking. <laughs> and and that's because how can I fear things like that? So one of the things that I didn't share with you is, um, despite the fact that I've I've you know gone uni three times, despite the fact that I've won all these awards, despite the fact that you know I've I've never been in a gang, I've never been involved in in criminality. I, I still was the victim of a stabbing when I was fifteen. Yeah. You know, I still was a victim of shooting in 2008. Mm. And I remember just by being a victim, the whole connotations around it. You know, I had people, you know, accusing me of being a gang member, accusing me of being involved in a drug deal gone wrong. You know, like all these stories came out in the media. Mm. All these stories came out through parents of some of the children I was really supporting. Yeah. Sending it to the head teacher and saying, uh, we've heard this and we've heard that really killing my name. And all the time, I am in intensive care trying to survive. Jesus Christ. You know, and and that for me, weirdly enough, you know, getting shot was really, really one of my best experiences and most life-changing experiences because I got to experience a little tiny bit 
of what our young people go through when, yeah. when they go through this this level of violence. As someone who had a good support network, as someone who was a professional, as someone who was really tapped into the community, I still it still took five years for me to be diagnosed with post-traumatic stress. Yeah. Now, when we look at some of the stats in Lambeth, we've got the highest rates of youth violence, highest incidence of mental health. One in three children is born into poverty. So it's never... For me, it's, it's, we can never just talk about one issue affecting people. We can never say to young people, young people um, go through violence and, and you know, uh, older people go through homelessness. Sometimes they're going through all of this all together. You know, mm -hmm. when we talk about partial homelessness, we also got sofa surfing. Yeah. And we get a lot of young people who either can't stay in the area where they, they live because of the danger to themselves or or they've had to move around to, to, to stay safe. And they are literally... They haven't got any foundation. And we still put our expectation on them that they're supposed to be thriving. Mm. And for me, you know, there's, there's this... And how can you survive when there's just such kind of endemic, unprocessed trauma, really, is what you're talking about. That's exactly about. it. Yeah. Again, it took five years for me to be diagnosed with post-traumatic stress. Mm. So for five years, I was hyper-vigilant, hyper-aggressive. I was never... I never had a chance to rest. Mm. And that really took its toll on me. Mm. You know, and again, like I said, I had I had all, all, all the support that I needed to survive that. And sometimes I look at our kids, you know, who are 14, 15, who have seen their friends killed or have mm. almost been killed themselves or have actually taken a life themselves. And I think to myself, where is the support? You know, we're constantly putting responsibility on these children without actually trying to safeguard their environment. And I think that's that's one of the things that really inspired me to 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 to, to get into to politics is is a lot of your mum's achievements but when we talk about resilience I think sometimes people we, we, we don't even realise how much resilience we've had to have in order to survive, survive different issues mm. and for me I think as, as people on the outside we have a responsibility to remind people and to encourage people to apply that resilience in different aspects of their mm. lives so for me when I, when I talk about someone who's, who's homeless or someone who might have been evicted you know, and they've survived to a point where they've got a house now and, and they're back to being comfortable, I say to them, how can you be afraid of a job interview? The worst they can say to you is no. Mm -hmm. You know, you've had no home over your head and you're scared of an interview. And it gives you a, 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 a little bounce in your step because you're yeah. like... Just you reminding them of their courage yeah, and of their strength. You can't yeah. scare me with a no. Mm -hmm. That doesn't make sense. Mm -hmm. You know, and, 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 and another thing that, that really that I keep in my heart is is something that I was told a, a little while ago by a lady called Rose Griffith and she said to me never accept no from someone who doesn't have the power to say yes Ooh, and I was I like, like I was like yeah exactly I, I was like, like that. whoa that's deep yeah it is even someone doesn't shouldn't have to be homeless or, or so obviously in, in, in desperate need for you to give them a kind smile or a, or a, or a good morning. Do you know what I mean? Mm. And, and I think that's something that we're missing that we, we need to work on, especially since we've gone through recessions, especially, you know, we've got whole communities and people going through a whole load of different issues, whether it's domestic violence, whether it's youth violence, whether it's homelessness, whether it's poverty generally, you know, just a hello can save a life and and for me that's mm. that's the whole point especially uh, in terms of the idea of the soup kitchen is we never really ask you for what your issue is we don't ask you to prove that you're desperate or you're in need the fact that you're here means mm. that you're looking for something yeah yeah and for us we're comfortable in allowing you to to, to find that yourself mm. with our support if you need it mm. or you could just come and sit down with us play blackjack and eat some food mm. you know and, and in your own time decide when you're ready if if ever 
and and for us that's it's just about those safe spaces safe comfortable friendly space so dr hashi just to um as you are a uh honorary doctorate in philosophy mm-hmm. um you have to forgive the cheesy question but what is your philosophy on life hmm my philosophy in life that's an interesting one it's a it's a bit of a harsh one if i'm honest with you right so it's a love whom you will they will surely die do what you will you'll be judged accordingly and for me what what that reminds us or reminds me in particular is the fact that everything's temporary mm-hmm. and what we shouldn't do is we shouldn't anchor ourselves to things that are temporary you know mm-hmm. and for me good deeds are, are are permanent they last forever and for me that's 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 the reminder for me you know like even even talking about your mum for me never in a million years did i imagine she wouldn't be here today never mm-hmm. in a million years you know my dad passed when i was 13 and it's interesting because i argue a lot with people that talk about the absence of fathers in 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 a young man's life and how that impacts them my my dad passed away he didn't choose to be absent mm. and sometimes there's that connotation that because i don't have a male in my fa- in, in in growing up that that somehow i lost something or or, or i'm not a whole person mm. and for me it's, it's so important that we we you know, we connect our spirits really and truly, you know, as opposed to our, our physical, you know, your mum's left a legacy for all of us, you know, from from short start, from the Olympics. And it's it's just like, for me, we, we don't forget things like that. But sometimes if we tie it into people physically, when those people go, we lose hope. And that should never be the case. So it started off quite harsh, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> um okay so listen we are tragically for me we are coming to to towards the end of our time with you now but um just a couple more questions so um if there was any guidance that you could go back and give yourself um at any particular point in your life what would it be and what would you say I would have said to keep going mm. but I've kept going so I, th- I think the thing is I'm happy with how everything's gone. I feel like you wouldn't there are, change anything. Yeah, I wouldn't change anything. Mm. I think everything's as it should be. Mm. So uh, I'll be back here in 2024 to complete that conversation. <laughs> <laughs> You'll have the, the the mayor of London in your but presence. The date is in the diary. <laughs> yes. Fantastic. Um, okay. So lastly, if there's one person living or past who you would want to be proud of you, who would that be? Oh, there's so many, you know, mm. but it is almost daily. I think about my dad mm. because I never got to know him in adulthood. Mm. He kn- he knew me as a child, and I always wonder how he would have felt. I think he'd be pretty fucking proud of you. Thank you. We all are. <laughs> all right. So finally, to close, Mohammed, um, if you had to choose a song to dedicate to your story, what would that be? Lean on me. Oh, that's a good one. <laughs> it's a classic. Definitely. And can you tell us a little bit why? A bit about why? Because I, f- I feel like the song talks about that that selflessness. Mm. It's, it doesn't say, you know, it just says lean on me, literally. Mm. When you're ready, not not when I'm ready or when I'm available. And I think sometimes 
we're a bit selfish like that. When we when we offer people help, we offer them with conditions. And mm. I feel like that song is is an offer of help without conditions. When you're ready, it's here. And I think for me, that's that speaks a lot to what we do at the soup kitchen. Mohammed, thank you, thank you for everything that you are. Thank Thanks you for being much, with us here today. Sometimes in our lives, we all Thank you all so much for listening if you'd like to rate review and subscribe to us on your podcast app then please do and you know the score five stars please if you'd like to come and say hello on instagram then you can find me and all things human podcast related at this is jess mills this podcast was created and hosted by me jess mills with creative co-production by bonnie tyburn and produced by joel porter at dot 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 Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. 
Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with Code Program for a four-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com. Code Program.